The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, open with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And Lord willing, we will finish out chapter 9 today. We're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 before we take communion together. And uh, this is a message that is intended to be for those graduating um, thought about calling this message, Don't Waste Your Life, but I settled on the title, Running to Win. And you'll see why as I read this text. Um, but uh, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, beginning in verse 24, follow along with me uh, as I read. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, Paul, when he finishes this up, he's coming out of a section where he is defending his apostleship, his, his ministry. They are questioning him on so many things. He's not taking a salary from them, and they question that. Is he really worth his, his salt? Can he really claim to be an apostle? Uh, they're questioning his right to tell them certain things, like don't eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Don't eat in those places. And they're wondering, what right does he have to do this? And he's presented this this very detailed argument defending himself in the positions that he's taken in his freedom, laying down his freedom in Christ for the sake of the gospel among those who have never heard. And he finishes with this illustration. He draws on this familiar illustration, that of the Olympic or the, uh, the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games were, at that time, uh, the, the most popular games anywhere around second to the Olympics. Uh, they were held in Corinth. So the people in Corinth would have been very, very familiar with this, this metaphor here, this talking of running a race. Because every two years, this, these games came back around. And so they understood this very, very well. One of the most popular events was the foot race. Now, lest you think this was the playground at your elementary school, dashing across from the swings to the slide like we used to do, you know, seeing who was the fastest, this is not that at all. This is not your average schoolyard dash. This is a grueling, excruciating marathon. The word here, when Hebrews 12, verse 1, talks about let us run with endurance, the word there in the Greek is agon. It's where we get our word agony. This is a race that is not started and over in an instant. This is one that will go on Beyond what you think you can go. Anybody ever been there? Anybody had that crazy idea? I think I'd like to run a half marathon or a marathon or something like that. And you get in the middle of it and you get to about mile five or six or nine or whatever it is. And you think, what was I thinking? I'm going to die out here on the road, right? That didn't connect with you all. Y'all don't run marathons, do you? Yeah, you're like... I go to the fridge. That's what I do, you know. Well, this is not going to the fridge. This is an agonizing race of endurance. 
Harper's Bible Dictionary defines this race. We need to know what this is. What does he mean when he says run this race? The Bible Dictionary says the word run is used figuratively to denote the struggle of the person of faith to stay the course against evil and remain committed to God in, in this world. So this is the race that we're trying to fight against evil and trying to stay committed to God. Anybody, any Christians in the room who would say, that's not always easy? I think we would all say that. If you're, if you're truly saying, I'm a believer and I'm striving to follow after God and, and be committed to Him and trying to shun evil and stay away from it, that's hard sometimes. It's agonizing, and that's why he draws on this imagery. But he tells us, he tells all the believers, if you're a Christian here today, this is written to you. It's originally written to those believers in Corinth, but let's go forward all these years and let's realize that the Word of God is as much for us today as it was for them. It may not have been addressed specifically to us when it was from Paul's hand, but it is to us from God nonetheless. Paul says, run. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? This doesn't mean, this is where it's different. Maybe at the Isthmian Games in the foot race, there was really only one winner. But in the race of Christianity, there's not just one. Thank God because of Christ and His finished work. If we are staying the course because of His hand holding us, then we all win. But nevertheless, we've got to run this race. There is activity, not, not just all from God's side, but there is activity here on the part of the believer. And you don't hear this a whole lot because sometimes you either hear one extreme or the other, that it's all God's grace and God doesn't expect anything from you, so go live however you want. And God's going to forgive you. Or you hear the opposite extreme, that you've got to do this and this and this, and you've got to live up to this or you'll lose what is yours. But Paul here marries the two and says, yes, you have been saved by grace. Now that you've been saved by grace, run the race. So what does your running say about you? What does your running say about you? These runners don't seem to be your average runners. Notice that in this passage, they're, um, they're, there's, they're actually in a race There is a prize, and they are seeking to be number one. It's all in verse 24 there. They're not simply out for a little exercise. They're not the ones who simply go into the gym, get on the treadmill, and just sort of meander on the treadmill for 30 or 40 minutes. These are athletes running to win. They're competitors. Picture Kenyans. They are out to win. If running is the way you're, you, that you live your life, struggling to stay the course against evil and to remain committed to God in this world, then what does your running say about you? My question to you this morning is, would someone look at your life as you're living your life and say, that guy is serious. He's not simply just talking about this thing. He's, he's striving to really believe this thing. She means business. She's 
There must be something real about her God because look at the way she runs. Look at the way she lives. You see, ultimately, here's what I want you to, to see in this passage. Ultimately, the way you run says more about your God than it says about you. If you're running after God, striving to stay away, stay the course from evil, and remain committed to God, it says that your God has the power to save. If someone sees you living a haphazard life, casual and aloof about the glory of God, yet passionate and and jealous about your own reputation, you ever met anybody like that? says, I love Jesus, but they don't live in defense of him. They live in defense of themselves. If someone sees you running that way, you can't blame them for questioning the authenticity of the power of the gospel. You can claim, you can claim it. You can claim that, that you are a follower of Christ and that he has saved you. But if you go out of here and you refuse to run and you simply live like everyone else lives... And you don't seek to obey the Word of God. I'm not talking about for your salvation. But because of you, your, your salvation, because you are saved, if you just go out and run, the world will look and see and say, there must not be anything to that. But if someone sees you repeatedly humbling yourself, setting aside your own wants and desires in order to serve others, they can't help but wonder what your secret is. What happens is you'll have repeated opportunities to tell them how you're not on your own, that someone has laid hold of you. They will look to your life and say, there's something different about you. Why do you run the way you run? Why do you live the way you live? And the, the reason, the opportunity, is not so that you can say, well, I just try hard. Well, I'm just trying to be a better me. But instead, in that moment, it is to say, I run because God has laid hold of my life. Jesus Christ came when I didn't deserve it, and he took my place on the cross. He has forgiven me and made me righteous. He took my sin on himself and gave me his righteousness. And and now I live for him because it's what I'm compelled to do. Paul says it this way. In Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14, he says, Not that I have already obtained, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. John Piper calls this life, this life of straining toward the upward call, Resting solely on on the grace of Christ, but straining while we are here toward that upward call. John Piper calls this life, no matter how many years it lasts, a proving ground. That we prove during our lifetime who 
and what we trust. That we prove in our lifetime who or what we cherish. To the graduates, I would say to you today, you're going to spend the rest of your lives, whether that's a little time or a lot of time, proving to the world around you, watching you, who you really trust, what you really cherish. Will they say, there's a guy who really loves sports? There's there's a girl who really loves fashion? Or will they say, there's a person who loves God and is loved by Him? You will spend the rest of your life proving this. So many people spend their lives trying to prove themselves, their strength, their intelligence, their skills. And this is tempting for the college and the high school graduates, having just learned and having just been um, celebrated that what you've learned, it's very easy for you to fall into this trap of, well, now I have to prove myself. And I would challenge you to live your life not trying to prove your own strength or your own intelligence or your own set of skills, but instead that you would use this life, the only life that you have, to prove His strength, His wisdom, His ability to save a wretch like you and a wretch like me. What does your running say about you? Secondly, this morning in this text, how should we run? How do we run? Is, are, are, if, if we're not running to gain approval or gain, running to gain salvation, then how do we run? How do we keep from falling into this trap of trying to earn the favor of God? Well, Paul says in verse 24, run that you may obtain it. I alluded to Hebrews chapter 12 earlier. Verse 1 says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Well, you've got to understand one of the ways you run is you take some things off. Some things are just weights. No, no but it would, be, it would be ludicrous, wouldn't it, if you're at a race, at the, at the starting line of a big race, and you look over and you see all those athletes and they're getting ready to take off and they're stretching out and they're wearing those little bitty shorts that probably should not be allowed and, and uh, those lightweight shoes that, that, you know, are so light they almost float. And, you know, there's just, I mean, they're just lean and mean and they're ready to go. And you look and you see one runner over there and, and he's not dressed like that, but instead he's got ankle weights strapped around his legs. He's got a chest weight strapped around. He's got a parachute that's back behind him. And when the gun sounds, he's going to take off and run with all this extra weight and all this extra baggage. The illustration there for us is that as we run this race, wanting to stay the course against evil in this world and stay committed to God in this world, that there are some things that we need to take off. They're not bad in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not good or bad. They are amoral. Things like TV and Facebook and Instagram and golf and shopping and talk radio and fiction novels and Netflix and Hulu and fishing and scrapbooking and gardening and Twitter and Pinterest and all these things. They're not wrong in and of themselves. But one of the ways we run, if we're serious about running, is that we take stock of these things and say, are these things holding me back and keeping me from really running 
hard and fast after God? And if so, we lay them down willingly. Not all things are just weights. Some things are sin. It says there in Hebrews 12.1, lay aside the sin. Some things are sin and we must lay them aside. They're not options. It's not like TV or all those things I just named. You can participate in those things without any, any fear of condemnation because those things are not good and they're not bad. They're just things. But there are some things in your life that are temptation to sin. And when those things are there, outlined by the Word of God, we lay them aside. Jesus used language like, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, looking at things that you should not take in, and pluck it out. Those are things that we must get rid of, but how do we run? He says in verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. This is where we exercise self-control. But if you're like me, you're probably asking yourself, well, that sounds great. But where does that self-control come from? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Last one, self-control. So what may look on the outside as you being self-controlled in the discipline of yourself in this is actually the work of God within you through the Holy Spirit. Working this out. Paul is not telling them to simply suck it up. He's telling them to live in what they already possess. That the Holy Spirit will, possess, will, will produce within them a control that works itself out in order for them to run the race. Verses 26 and 27, Paul says, this is why Paul says, I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. He's not running, he's, he's exercising self-control here as he runs. He's not, he's not saying, well, you know, it's just going to be the work of the Spirit in my life, produce these things. But instead, he realizes the power of the Holy Spirit lives within him, and he is, by his will, empowered by the Holy Spirit, choosing some certain choices that will allow him to run after God. Paul says, this is drastic. This is intense. Dave Ramsey calls this gazelle intense. He's not running, Paul says, he's not running like Phoebe off of Friends. You remember that episode? Those of you who used to watch Friends in the 90s, where Phoebe's running through the park and she doesn't run like normal runners, but instead she thinks back to her childhood and she runs all crazy with limbs flailing out because she runs like she used to when she was a child. And Paul's not simply just running like a child, having fun. Instead, he's running with purpose, with intensity. He's intending to discipline himself for the purpose of godliness. He's not punching the air. 
with, uh, with my kids growing up, and many of you with your kids, when you wrestle with your kids, you, you fake fight with them. A 14-year-old son, we wrestle and fight sometimes. Well, I don't literally land blows on my son. If I land blows on my son, somebody's coming to take my son away from me, right? Now, he has occasionally landed blows on me, you know. He's at that point now where he's sneaking them in. He's getting stronger and faster, still can't take me. (laughs) There will come a day when he will take me. But as of right now, he can't take me. But I don't, I don't wrestle and punch and fight with my kids in a way that I intend to land real blows. Instead, I punch the air. I punch the air beside them. I stop short of actually hitting them. Well, Paul says, I'm not punching the air. I'm not pulling short. But he says, I discipline myself in a way that I give myself black eyes. He doesn't literally mean he punches himself in the face, but he says here, I'm landing blows against myself. There are times when I don't feel like doing the things that I feel. Sometimes I feel like taking a salary from you because I don't necessarily like the state of how I'm living. It would be a whole lot easier for me not to have to make tents and take a salary from you. That's what I'm due. But instead, I'm disciplining myself to do this for the sake of the gospel. I'm landing these blows on myself. The athlete that trains doesn't always feel like getting up early in the morning to go to the gym and put his body or her body through all sorts of rigors in order to get better at their sport. But when the alarm goes off at 4 o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, they have to fight against hitting the snooze or saying, oh, well, I won't go today. It's Friday. But instead, they get up. And they fuss at themselves all the way to the gym. And they go into the gym and they work hard. And that's the life of the believer. Are we saved by grace? Absolutely. Are we kept by grace? Absolutely. But are we instructed along the way to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness? And run this race and land blows against ourselves. Yes. If your attitude is simply let go and let God, you will find yourself constantly frustrated, down on yourself, because you're wondering what is wrong with me? Why am I not growing like everyone else? The reality is, the devil will just have his way with you. But instead, God instructs us to take his word and to put it into practice. To land the blows of obedience. Philippians, here's here's where I'll end. I had more to say, but I'm going to end here. I'll say this and I'll say one more thing and I'll be done. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Now, if we stop right there, if we stop right there, then it's a, it's a blow against salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If we stop and only say, Paul said, work out your own salvation, just work it, figure it out. But if we go on and we read verse 13 of Philippians 2, 
with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, here's the picture. The picture is that God has saved us and laid hold of our lives. And since he has laid hold of us, then he calls us to work in that. To work out our salvation, not work it out as if we're earning it, but to live it out, to flesh it out, to obey him. And even in the obedience, it's God who's working in us, both to will and to work. It's God who continually draws us back to that. It's God who gives us the strength to say, you know, yes, I will. Because at the end of the day, you and I can't come to the end and say, ha, figure that thing out. Let me move on to something else. At the end of the day, we come to this and we say, I struggle every single day. This is hard. I'm right with God because I'm in Christ. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ. But I'm seeking to live out this call to Christ, and it is hard. There is temptation that abounds. We sang that song. The kids sang that song. He's the only one who can't be tempted. You and I are tempted every day, right? We can't come to the end of our day and say, Staples, that was easy. We, we come to the end of our day and say, God, by your grace, I am not what I used to be. And God, by your grace, you are making me what I am not yet. So God, help me in the middle of that to make steps where I trust you and make me holy. Last thing I'll say is this. What are we running for? Well, it's all over the text. I I won't even look at the rest of my notes, but it's all over the text. He says, run that you may obtain it. What is he, what, what, obtain what? He's talking about this prize. That those running this race in the Isthmian Games, they're running for a perishable crown, a, a, a wreath of foliage that will begin to die as soon as they cut it from the tree. But we're running for a crown that will never perish. This is what Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when he says, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. This is what he's running for. This is what you and I run for. We don't run for accolades. We don't, as Greg said to the students last night at dodgeball, we're not playing for Cadillacs. We're running for something much, 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 many times over better. The upward call of our God where we will spend eternity with him in his presence, seeing him face to face without any distance between us and him where there will be no more death. There will be no more dying. There will be no more sickness. We will live with him forever where there will be no sin. That's, that's what we run for. Until then, there is sin that abounds and we fight and we war and we run this agonizing marathon by the strength of God, by the grace of God, for the glory of God until he calls us home. Let's pray.
Jesus, we praise you. We praise your power, your strength, your wisdom, your ability to save us. To wipe away the sin that condemns us. Not simply to wipe it under the rug, but to take it on, to pay its penalty. God, we praise you that not only do you justify us, but God, that you are sanctifying us, setting us apart, making us holy, conforming us to the image of Christ, and that one day, because we have been kept by you, we will enter into glory. And God, until that day, move us out of our complacency. Move us out of our laziness. And God, help us, as Paul writes to the Philippians, to work out, to flesh out our salvation as we trust in you to work in us and through us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.